Well, lots in the news to talk about this week. Joe Rogan didn't get deplatformed from Spotify. We're going to chat about the rights of a Christian college in Queensland to define sexual ethics for their whole community. And of course, Brian Houston is in the news again, and we want to chat a bit about that too. My name is David Old, and this is episode three of Dual Citizens. So in current news this week, musician and old rocker, it says here, Neil Young has sparked a boycott against comedian Joe Rogan for controversial comments made on his podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, which is currently exclusive to Spotify. Now, on the 24th of January this year, Young wrote an open letter via Rolling Stone magazine explaining his determination to not share a platform with Rogan, as he believes Spotify, by having Rogan on on their platform, is spreading misinformation about vaccines and that they are, quote, potentially causing death to those who believe the disinformation being spread. Well, uh, what was it about Rogan that Neil Young was so upset about? Uh, let's uh, remind ourselves about this uh, this guy. In December 2009, Joe Rogan, a, a very clear conservative in America's very polarized political landscape, started a podcast with his friend Brian Redburn. Uh, the pro- podcast was rapidly named The Joe Rogan Experience. And in May 19th, 2020, uh, Rogan announced he had signed a multi year licensing deal with Spotify worth an estimated, catch this, 100 million US dollars. Now, what was it that Rogan had done that so upset Neil Young? Well, uh, here's a range of the comments that he's made recently in the last couple of years about the COVID-19 vaccine, that, that controversial topic we've already touched upon here at Dual Citizens. Uh, 23rd of April, 2021, Rogan said, quote, healthy young people don't need a COVID COVID vaccine, uh, to which we might want to say, not quite true, is it, Joe? Because actually the vaccine does limit their own symptoms and uh, many young people were actually uh, uh, affected by COVID. Uh, On the 20th of August, 2021, he said, quote, mRNA vaccines are gene therapy. Uh, Also, actually not true. Gene therapy is designed to permanently alter an individual's genes, whereas mRNA vaccines work in a different way. Uh, 24th of December last year, he said, quote, I'm not going to get vaccinated. I have antibodies. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Rogan, of course, famously got COVID last year and treated himself, uh, amongst other things, with a bit of ivermectin. Um, Now, of course, actually not true either because a vaccination would strengthen and extend the duration of the response of the antibodies that he did have from having COVID. Uh, he also claimed even this year, in on the 12th of January, the myocarditis, myocarditis, that is the heart muscle inflammation risk of vaccines, is higher than from COVID. And his guest, which was then uh, Australian broadcaster Josh Zepps, uh, did correct him there, as he was right to do so, and he stated that young males who got infected were six times more likely to develop myocarditis from COVID than from the vaccine itself. Now, Rogan is pretty notorious for this kind of stuff, and there's no doubt he has made him a name for himself on the COVID issue. His podcasters have interviews with controversial figures 
in the COVID debate, such as Dr. Robert Malone and others. And in the increasingly partisan landscape of American social commentary and debate, Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan Experience podcast episodes, they average around 11 million listeners, precisely because Rogan does take particular uh, positions. Now, Neil Young finished his Rolling Stone um, article by stating that Spotify can either have him or Rogan on the streaming platform. And in response, Spotify, well, what do they do? They looked at their $100 million contract with Rogan and they decided to remove Young's music. Uh, we want all the world's music and audio content to be available to Spotify users, a Spotify spokesman said. Uh, with that comes great responsibility in balancing both safety for listeners and freedom for creators. We regret Neil's decision to remove his music from Spotify, but hope to welcome him back soon. What they didn't say is Rogan's uh, business is worth much more to us than Neil Young's, but you get the sense that might have been what's going on. See, it turns out, however, that Young isn't the only one who wasn't happy. His protest was then joined by Joni Mitchell, uh, Bruce Springsteen guitarist Niels Lofgren, and pod podcaster Brené Brown. Uh, Rogan himself has since addressed the controversy with an Instagram video stating, I will do my best to try to balance out these more controversial viewpoints with other people's perspectives so we can maybe find a better point of view. He also added he didn't want to just show the contrary opinion to what the narrative is. And Spotify, of course, have also responded by adding content advisory links directed to their COVID-19 hub and will also begin highlighting their publishing rules to creators. Okay, so why do dual citizens need to pay attention to this? It could be that we might instinctively side with those who want Rogan off the air. After all, as we've actually seen, many of the positions that he takes and opinions that he voices are demonstrably incorrect and untrue. I mean, I personally certainly disagree with his position on the COVID vaccine, but that would be too simplistic a response. We desperately need Joe Rogans because we desperately need people who are prepared to disagree. Disagreement is the lifeblood of a genuinely free society. It's by stating contrary ideas and positions that we can discover together what's right and true. And one thing Rogan is quite obviously committed to is exploring the other side of the argument, or some might say to look at life from both sides now. Uh, this has become especially important in the United States, where there is a sense by many that information is increasingly controlled and any dissenting position stamped down upon. As just one example, it's now becoming clear that in the opening months of the crisis, any suggestion that the virus might have escaped from a lab in Wuhan was systematically suppressed. Now it turns out that idea might not have been as crazy as it was first suggested. As Christians, this position of the outsider, the, the unbeliever, the, the cultural heretic, is one we've often been in. In Acts 26, the Apostle Paul stands in front of both King Herod Agrippa of Israel and Porcius Festus, the Roman procurator or, or, or imperial governor, and he tells the story of his own conversion and the truth about who Jesus really is. Acts 20, 26, 24, let me read. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning has driven you insane. I am not insane, my most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in 
a corner. Now there's a great example of exactly what we're talking about. The authority in the land tells Paul he's wrong. More than that, he's mad. But Paul is persistent and, note carefully, points to the facts. None of this has escaped the king's notice because it was not done in a corner. See, make no mistake, if they can shut Rogan down for being wrong and dangerous, then they can shut us down for exactly the same reason. See, that's what regimes that aren't free do. They shut down dissenting voices. So Christians ought to be speaking up, especially for those who are viewed as wrong by everyone else, even if they are wrong. The right to be wrong in public is an important one. It's the right, I think someone once said, to keep on rocking in a free world. It's important for the good of our wider society, and it certainly protects our own right to keep speaking of Jesus and all that he has to say. Heaven forbid that we don't care about this. I think someone once read a protest song with the lyric, don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? Well, guys, uh, look that one up on Spotify uh, if you don't know uh, what I'm talking about, if it's still on, on there, but important things for us to think through. Okay, now, if you need some persuading that this is a very relevant issue for us in Australia, then come with me to Queensland, where a Christian school has come under fire for the content of their mandatory enrolment contract for students. Uh, City Point Christian College is a large independent Christian school in Brisbane's inner suburbs. The school sent families an updated enrolment contract last Friday, asking parents to sign the contract or unenroll their child from the school. Uh, over 140,000 people so far have signed a petition calling for the school to withdraw the amended contract. That is obviously massively in excess of the alumni of the school. Now, what is it in the contract that's angered so many of these people, some of whom who previously had never even heard of the place? Well, the peti petition takes particular aim at the following statement in the contract. Let me read it to you. We believe that any form of sexual immorality, including but not limited to adultery, fornication, homosexual acts, bisexual acts, bestiality, incest, paedophilia, and pornography, is sinful and offensive to God and is destructive to human relationships and society. The petition claims that this is in effect comparing homosexuality to incest and paedophilia. I mean, that old chestnut, this is of course not what the contract is affirming at all. Rather, it's simply stating the biblical truth that there are a variety, perhaps we might even call it a spectrum, of sexually immoral behaviours ranging from homosexual acts through incest to some particularly fringe things. The, the Greek world of the New Testament has a particular word for this, porneia, from where we obviously get the word pornography from. It's a word that Jesus himself uses. Porneia was the catch-all word for sexual immorality, which indicated any and all sexual activity outside of God's good design. Now, this is hardly an extraordinary position for Christians to take. This is the classic, historical, dare we even say it, biblical position. And it's grounded in the simple truth that we find at the heart of the creation story in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 verse 27, we read, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. That God made us male and female is not incidental to our humanity. It actually lies at the heart of it and, note this carefully, is the first expression of what it means for us to be made in the image of God. 
It's also worth noting that the way that Genesis 1 works with its six created pairs, so one each of the days of creation, so you know, light and dark, land and sea, fish and birds and so on, it all ends up with this seventh pair, man and woman. So that we have two sexes, two genders, is actually deeply embedded in the whole creation story. That is undeniable, whether you read Genesis 1 literally or not. The structure is quite clear. And what's also clear in the Bible is that the picture of a husband and wife, uh, one of the key expressions of our male-female binary nature as humans, the picture of husband and wife is perhaps the key image used in the scriptures to speak of the relationship between God and his people. Jesus, for example, is constantly referring to himself as the bridegroom of his bride, the church. So this is not peripheral stuff for Christians. It's absolutely central to our theology, both in creation and salvation, always has been from the very beginning. So, so why make a point of it now? Well, part of the reason, no doubt, is the current conversation around a federal religious discrimination act. Uh, one of the things we see in the proposed act is the right for a religiously constituted organization like this school to arrange their affairs in such a manner. But the act will also require them to set out in advance a statement of principles on such contentious issues. Not least, this means that everyone knows where they stand. It also obviously stops an organization from acting in an arbitrary manner. Now, now, now how should we be thinking about this? Uh, I mean, a number of questions can be asked. Uh, does Primarily, does the school have the right to enforce the contract? Well, it is a matter of legal dispute. There have been articles published by the ABC that feature legal opinions alluding to the claim that the contract is indeed lawful under, under current law. Uh, City Point have said that they received legal advice relating to it. But there is a problem. The problem is that there's a bit of a conflict between federal and state law on the matter. Uh, some states have what is known as a balancing clause in their anti-discrimination legislation, uh, juggling the competing claims of religious freedom with claims of discrimination, and Queensland doesn't have that. Uh, and, and particularly, and here I'm now relying on the analysis of associate professor in law, Neil Foster, particularly he writes, the general provision in Queensland allowing religious bodies to make decisions in accordance with their doctrines is explicitly said not to apply in the area of education. So not so good for City Point, but, and here I'm reading from Foster again, and you should read his excellent blog article that we've, we've linked in the video uh, content. Um, Foster writes, there is a live question as to whether the provisions of state laws, such as the Queensland Act, are valid when seen next to the law of the Commonwealth. In other words, the law is not clear because of this interplay between state and federal. So should the school implement such a contract in the first place? Well, I'd argue they certainly have the right to, uh, not least because the views expressed in the contract seem well ordinary. They can view convey views that we, uh, Bible-focused Christians, know to be true and good for society. But to the world, at least to some in the world, they do appear bizarre. Uh, despite the precise wording of the contract, which expresses this sound biblical principle, the school doesn't seem to be intent on dismissing students simply because they don't uh, uh, live in accordance with the contract. And the principal pastor, uh, the principal who is a pastor at City Point, uh, Brian Mulheran, said the college, quote, does not judge students on their sexuality or gender identity, and we would not make a decision about their enrollment in the college simply on that basis. They're simply looking for these truths to be acknowledged, that this is where the, the college is at. So why the furore? Well, uh, is it because the public is not used to Christians expressing these deeply held beliefs in the public uh, uh, square? Uh, and perhaps this uh, suggests 
that they're not. Uh, there could be some, of course, backlash on the religious discrimination bill that's been uh, currently uh, uh, debated uh, in the media and will be um, again. Uh, we've got a group of City Point parents who've written, written an open letter to the Human Rights Commission uh, and the broader public expressing their opposition um, as well. Now, behind it all lies this broader concept of freedom of association. Are groups free to associate together around a common interest and place boundaries on that grouping. So look, I've been a member of a number of football, that is soccer clubs over the years, but nobody would think it bizarre if the, bunch, if the club told a bunch of parents who wanted to play rugby that they were free to play rugby, just do it somewhere else. Many private schools are founded on exactly this basis. There are parents with a particular philosophy of life, be it religious or something else like Montessori or Rudolf Steiner or something. They have the right to organize themselves and the education of their children in a certain way. Our Australian education system actually relies upon this. It's cheaper for us as a nation since the government payments to such schools are significantly lower per pupil than if they were funded through public schools. And perhaps here is the clear bottom line. Nobody forces anyone to send their children to these schools or to work there. Nobody is forced to do this. They're free to go wherever else they want. But the freedom, that's not enough for the activists. They can't tolerate a differing point of view. Zero tolerance for other ways of thinking, it seems. And that is an awful way to run a society where we're not prepared to allow a breadth of opinion, where we're so quick to stamp down hard on positions that only a generation or two ago were mainstream because they'd been held to for millennia. This will be one to watch with interest in the coming weeks. Questions of gender and sexuality are some of the loudest and most confronting that we are facing as an entire Western culture at the moment. They're important ones for us to grapple with because, as we've seen, they actually go to the very heart of who God has created us to be and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the dual citizen is really going to find their allegiance torn on this one. Well, let's turn to the topic that so many of you have asked me to address this week the ongoing saga that is the pending criminal court case facing Brian Houston, founder and up till a few days ago, global senior pastor of Hillsong Church. Now Hillsong Church was established in Borkham Hills in 1983 uh, by Brian and his wife Bobby, uh, growing it out of a church led by his father, Frank Houston, who had moved to Australia from New Zealand and was also a Pentecostal church leader as part of what was then the AOG or Assemblies of God group. Uh, church weekly attendance for Hillsong has grown since then to over 43,000 people in Australia alone and 150,000 globally. It seems that everyone has heard of Hillsong. The franchise includes their many churches, their annual conferences and an extensive music arm. Sadly, it gradually came out that Frank Houston is known to have sexually abused as many as nine young boys across Australia and New Zealand between 1965 and 1977. The recent Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse heard that Frank Houston admitted to the abuse which took place in Australia and New Zealand and they questioned Brian Houston over his handling of those allegations when they were presented to him in late 1999. Now come forward to the present day, Brian Houston was charged in August last year for concealing his father's prior sexual assault offences. At the time the crimes were reported to him in 1999, Brian requested the church elders not involve police since he claimed that was the wish of the victim himself, who was an adult even at that time. 
Brian stripped his father of his credentials and dismissed him with a pension from the church. Uh, But the charge that he will be tried on is the claim that he failed to report a crime to the police, despite in his Royal Commission testimony stating that he was absolutely clear that the behaviour of his father was criminal. Brian Houston's defence looks like it's going to be that he acted in accordance with the wishes of the victim and the other advice that he received. Now, look, let's be abundantly clear. This is now a matter for the courts to decide. It's the prosecution's job to lay out all the evidence they have and to make their case beyond a reasonable doubt. So it would be wrong to delve any further into that particular issue. That is now before the court and the next hearing in the case is on March the 3rd. It's all important information, but but not what I want to raise today. I want to talk about a related issue. This past week, Brian Houston has finally stepped down from his position as global leader at Hillsong Church as he fights this legal battle. When the charges were originally announced, he didn't make that move. And I think it's fair to say only stood down from a number of the Hillsong boards after a significant amount of pressure. But this reluctance to step aside isn't a new thing. One of the incredibly surprising thing about Houston's initial handling of the allegations when they were reported to him in 1999 was that Houston himself did, did the initial handling of a complaint. He did the handling of a complaint about sexual abuse by his own father. If you watch the video of his Royal Commission testimony, you see this is a repeated issue that comes up. Why for a period of several months does Houston take charge of the investigation and then after it's been taken to the National Board of the Assemblies of God, of which he was the president, does he continue to be a liaison with his father and others? His own father. Now, friends, I have in the past been a vocal critic of Hillsong. I I think there are some serious problems with them theologically, evidenced not least by the speakers that they're prepared to platform and promote on their annual conferences here in Sydney and elsewhere. Uh, One particular post on my website remains one of the most read pieces every year. I'm not the only one to raise those concerns or take an interest. And you are, of course, free to disagree with me on it. And if you want, let me know why, as many people surely do constantly. But one thing I think we're not allowed to disagree on is that in leading the initial investigation, Brian Houston had an enormous conflict of interest, perhaps the largest that anyone can have. When counsel assisting at the Royal Commission put this to him, Did he not consider that he had a conflict? Houston's response that he was conflicted personally in that it was a personally an awful thing for him to have to grapple with, that his father was an abuser of children, but that there was no conflict of interest in his role as head of Hillsong, president of the Assemblies of God Australia, and son of Frank Houston, the accused. No conflict that required him to step aside. And that, frankly, is appalling. The Apostle Paul tells us that the overseer, that is the man leading a church, must be, quote, above reproach. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. We might translate that as blameless. Not that ministers in church will be sinless, only Jesus is sinless, but that we have to be held to the higher standards and be seen to hold to those standards. It staggers me that he could have made any decision other than as soon as possible to hand the matter over to someone else to look after and refuse to be involved beyond that. Houston's argument is that he was upholding his duties as president of the Assemblies of God Australia. The reality is that the minute he chose not to recuse himself from this particular matter, he failed in his duties. And look, frankly, I just don't get it. But what might cause us to act in this way? 
Well, I think it has to be the assumption that the normal rules don't apply. They don't apply either because we're, we're, we're so important, we're so necessary, and so the rules must bend around us, or we're so important that we're even above the rules. And we can act at this time in this way while at the same time telling ourselves that we're doing it for the right reasons. So did Brian Houston genuinely think he was doing the right thing in leading the investigation for a number of months? Well, perhaps he did. But if so, then however well-intentioned, he was simply wrong. And he and all those around him should have known far, far better. Because now it doesn't look good at all, does it? It looks like Houston thought he knew better, and that is never a good look. We need clear boundaries like this for all of us because we're all sinners. They protect us and the ministries we're involved in and the integrity of any necessary investigation into wrongdoing and ultimately the honour of Jesus amongst our fellow citizens. And it's this honour that's tarnished in all of this. Jesus, the blameless one, that we want to be constantly pointing people towards. That's why it's important for us to be seen to be as blameless as possible. So friends, do pray for Brian Houston. None of this can be easy for him. Hillsong has, of course, always been an easy target for critics, whether in the media or elsewhere. Sometimes the criticism has been entirely justified. Other times you get the sense that there are some that long for any excuse to have a go. So pray for Houston, pray for Hillsong, Pray for those victims, of course, those survivors, that they get genuine justice in all of this. And pray that God will bring good out of this whole sorry mess in the way that he always does, by bringing honour to the blameless name of Jesus. Well, before we close today's episode, let's take a look at some of the other headlines we don't have time to fully delve into, but you might want to. Uh, Chinese social media is awash with fiery discussion after a video was published on Douyin, China's version of TikTok, showing a middle-aged woman dressed lightly despite freezing conditions chained up in a doorless brick shack. The woman reportedly has a significant mental illness, although has eight children living in a house next door. An enormous debate has been sparked up on Chinese social media, with many users pointing to the problem of bride shopping and marriages involving women who are unable to provide consent due to mental illness or disability, uh, all because of the tremendous gender imbalance present in China since the one and two child policies only loosened last year. Also, uh, America and Britain have this week vowed economic sanctions on Russia at a scale never seen before if Russia chooses to invade Ukraine. Joe Biden said Vladimir Putin, his Russian counterpart, has, quote, never seen sanctions like the one I promised. That is going to be a big story, I'm sure, in weeks to come. Uh, and Pfizer on Tuesday asked the US Food and Drug Administration to authorize extra low doses of its COVID-19 vaccine for children under five, potentially opening the way for the very youngest Americans to start receiving shots as early as March. That story will not go away, uh, will it? Well, that might be some of the stories that we're looking at in weeks to come, or of course, something that you see and suggest as well. We'd love to hear from you on the socials. Maybe send us a message on the contact form on our website, jewelcitizens.net.com. AU. Uh, and of course, do please like, share, subscribe on all the different platforms we're on, YouTube, Google Podcasts, iTunes, maybe even Spotify, us and Joe Rogan, but just not uh, Neil Young. You can find us on there as well. Thanks for being with us. My name is David Old and this has been Jewel Citizens.